Our scripture today is the parable of the sower. It's found in the eighth chapter of the book of Luke, verses 4 through 15. When a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what the parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. You may be seated. Amen. Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you for being here today. It's great to have you. So um, it may not be a big surprise to some of you. I went to a Wesleyan college. Now, in case you don't know the word Wesleyan, that's actually the name of our denomination. Table Church is what's called a Wesleyan church. That means that we, of course, trace our roots back to Jesus. But uh, our particular theological tradition goes back to a guy named John Wesley, uh, who was a theologian and a pastor and a revivalist. Uh, in the 1700s in England. And so uh, I went to Wesleyan school and they hired an artist to make a sculpture of John Wesley that they were going to unveil kind of on the, the center of campus on the green um, during homecoming. And so they had this statue there um, the week leading up to homecoming, but they wanted to unveil it. So they had to figure out a way to secure the statue so that nobody could see what it looked like and make sure nobody would prank it because this is a college campus after all. And so what they did was they covered it with like heavy blankets, like moving blankets or something, and then they wrapped it in chains and locked it. But sure enough, the night before, a group of students, I knew a couple of them, they somehow managed to get those chains off of the statue and plant a pair of underwear on John Wesley's head and then wrap him back up. And so the next day at homecoming with all the rich alumni standing around, probably 100 people watching, and they unveil it. And sure enough, 
there is John Wesley in all his glory with underwear on his head. And the artist of the sculpture actually was the one that crawled up and took the underwear off the head of John Wesley. But it was a, it was a mighty victory for those students, let me just say. They got it on video. Oh, man, it was really something. The thing about a prank, the thing about a prank or a practical joke is that you unknowingly walk right into it. Like your day is just humming along nicely, right? You don't expect anything else. And then before you know it, you're in the joke and you can't escape. It's something that happens to you before you know it's happening. And once you know it's happening, it's too late. You're already in it. The parable of the sower is a little bit like that. It's like a trap. Once you've heard the parable, you're now part of it, whether you like it or not. There's no opting out of this. Here's what I mean. Uh, The parable talks about four different kinds of soil. And no matter how you respond to the parable, you're one of the soils. (laughs) You can shrug it off and say, nah, that's not for me. I don't want none of that. You know? Never think about it again. You can do that. But guess what? You're You're still in it. Like, you're just doing what it predicts. Some people will do. You are now inside a parable simply by having heard it. It's got you. (laughs) <laughs> kind of like when a, when a hero, you know, walks into a room in a movie and all the doors suddenly slam shut behind them and now they're trapped. Like, that's how this parable works. Like, it's got us. And so now the question we have to answer is which soil will we be? Which soil will you be? And I want us to ask this question in, on two levels. I want us to ask it for ourselves individually. What kind of soil am I going to be this year? But also as a congregation, as a church, what kind of soil will we be together? I'm going to talk a little bit later about some things that I think God is calling us toward in order to be good soil. But first, I want you to think about yourself individually. You know, maybe you're the path. That's one of the kinds of soils that it talks about. It says, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Look, some people hear the word of God. It says, but Satan snatches it away like birds eating birdseed. Now, this is probably the easiest of the soils for us to dismiss. Nobody thinks they're deceived by the devil, right? How many of you on a daily basis are like, I might be being deceived by Satan right now? Like, nobody does that, you know? We might think other people are. We don't usually think of it in terms of ourselves, though, do we? But look, our faith teaches that there's an evil force at work, and he's trying to deceive us. In fact, John Mark Comer points out that the devil's primary target is our thoughts and our ideas. Like Hollywood has conditioned us to, to associate the devil with like spooky, wild episodes. But actually, Jesus' longest teaching on Satan has to do with his work on our ideas, just the things that we think in our mind. It focuses on the deception that happens to us. See, the devil's main weapon is deception. Over 40 times, Jesus warns us. He says, do not be deceived. What this means is that one of the primary ways that we can be the seed along the path is through the lies that the enemy plants in our minds. It could be, you know, the ways that he twists the truth just a little bit. Gets us to blame somebody or suspect something of someone when it's just not there. It gets us to doubt or to blame God for something. Gets us to think the worst about something or some situation or something somebody said. What do they mean by that, you know? If you think about the, the word, there's a word that I like. I think it's a word we need to think about more. It's the word construal. Construal. How you construe something is simply how you interpret it. Not really based off any particular evidence. 
but simply because that's just kind of the mood you were in. You can, you can construe something many different ways. You can construe it negatively. Was it a smirk? Or positively, was it a smile? How do you construe the things in your life? Well, that's, where, that's the devil's playground right there. He wants us to construe things negatively, to think the worst in people all the time. And so it's at the level of our minds and our ideas and our deception that often, that's often the case. So ask yourself, if, if you were being deceived right now, how would you know? You can't say, well, I just kind of figure it out. Well, that doesn't work because like the definition of deception is that you don't know what's happening, right? Look, you need a standard other than yourself that has proven itself to be true. You need a standard other than yourself that has proven itself to be true. That's what the Bible is to us. The Bible has proven itself trustworthy to more people, past and present, than any other book, any other teaching ever. And so if you want to know, if you're like the path where God's word gets snatched up by the birds, then, you know, I can't tell you that for sure, but I can ask you that, I can tell you this, like if you're not in the scriptures regularly, you're quite vulnerable. My main job, I think, one of my primary jobs is to help you not be this soil. It, it, the part of my job that I, that I take most seriously is this 30 minutes of teaching the scriptures because this is our standard. It helps us know what the truth is. But these 30 minutes is not enough. It must be something that you invest in yourself on a regular basis. It must be one of the hallmarks of your life in order to not be the soil along the path. Next, talks about the rocky soil. So maybe, maybe you're the rocky soil today. It says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So Luke uh, uses this word testing, and, and it's used in a few different ways in the New Testament. Um, testing can mean persecution for your faith. This is often what's going on in the New Testament. Like when they talk about trials or tests, it's like being persecuted for following Jesus. And, and so this, this parable is talking about like when people start being persecuted for the gospel, many of them fell away. But it can also mean like just generally bad things that happen to you that cause you to doubt God's love for you. In fact, Peter uh, writes to his readers that they had suffered grief in all kinds of trials or tests. That's the same word. So th this is where like a loved one dies or a job is lost. Plans don't turn out the way that you thought. This, these can also be, be tests and trials. And these can be moments where we find out what kind of soil we are. In fact, if you want to do a soil sample on yourself, you could think of a recent trial that you've endured. And there's been some doozies in this congregation in the last year, let me tell you. And so you can look back or, you know, you can ask yourself, did, did I lean into God during that? What kind of soil were you in that season? And so much of the New Testament is written to encourage people to stand strong in times of trial. There's one verse that's very meaningful to me because God, like, kind of miraculously gave me this verse during a very difficult time in my life. It's James 1.12. It says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
And so what we need to realize is that like none of the Bible writers were oblivious to the fact that sometimes life stinks. This was not a surprise to any of them. But the difference between us and them is that we often seem to think we shouldn't have to suffer, whereas they assumed that they would. Listen, here's what I've observed. We tend to treat faith like a shield. They treated it like a motor. Okay, to us, faith is supposed to protect us from bad things in life. To them, faith was supposed to propel them through it. You see the difference? Faith is like a shield to us. To them, it was a motor. They didn't have motors 2,000 years ago, but it sounds better than camel or horse, you know. It was a motor to them. Our faith, we think it's supposed to shield us from the bad things. They're like, no, this is, good. This is actually the point. Is this helped me endure it well, you know, faithfully. That's the key to not being the rocky soil. It's there, your faith is there to help you suffer well. It's to lean toward God when those times come along. That's the test. Next, maybe you're the thorny soil. It says the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. I think this is the most common one today, the most common soil of them all. I would, I would venture to argue that all of us have a little bit of thorniness in our soil, okay? It's really hard not to when you live in the heart of the most affluent culture ever to exist, you know? It's hard not to let the, the life's worries, riches, and pleasures choke out the gospel from us. And so we have to be very aware, very courageous in our willingness to ruthlessly eliminate this from our hearts. The seed in the, uh, in the thorns, there's a difference between this one and the first two seeds. The first two seeds, they, they don't even take root, you know? Like the path, they fall on the path, the birds come and eat them. They fall on the, in the, uh, you know, on the rocks and they can't take root there. Um, but the, the, the seed that falls among the thorns, it says it actually does take root and starts to grow. It just says it just doesn't mature. It doesn't mature. In other words, this kind of seed can exist this way for a while. You know? I, I would say it can exist this way for years, maybe even decades. This kind of seed can float in and out of church. It can serve on nonprofit boards. It can pray at the dinner table. But Jesus says it's not mature. And here's why. It's not mature because its priorities are not right. Life's riches and pleasures keep it from reaching maturity. It places a greater priority on dollars than on disciples. It is more interested in money than in maturity. Look, if God called you to, like he did to the rich young ruler, to give everything you have to the poor and follow him, could you do it? There's our answer, right? I mean, there's our answer. And I'm right there with y'all, okay? This, this is the one. This is the one that gets us a lot. I'm not saying the others don't apply it, but this one is hard for us today. The soil with the thorns is probably also the most difficult one for us to identify because it has taken root, right? It's grown up a little, so it kind of can have the look of like, hey, yeah, you know, that little plant, that's getting along okay. You know what I mean? Like, you can go to church, it can tithe, it can post Bible verses, it can join a small group. But since we live in a society where the worries and riches and pleasures are normalized, it becomes very hard for us to recognize this within ourselves. In other words, the very things that this verse warns against 
are so widespread to us that they become invisible. I mean, imagine like the, the Bible telling fish that they shouldn't be in water. Like, how would the fish know? Like, that's our situation. We're so immersed in it, it's, hard, it's really hard to know. We, we have to boldly and kind of courageously say, God, show me where this is an idol in my heart. Show me where the worries of life's riches and pleasures are taking precedence over you. And it's hard to acknowledge it when God is right. But we have to. Because we live in the most affluent society ever. And that means that the worries and riches of the world are calling out to us louder than ever before. Like I said, it's normalized, perfectly normal, to let these things worry you more than your faith. And so what we need is a way of knowing if we are the soil with thorns. And actually, I think the next soil helps us do that. The final soil is the good soil. Jesus says, But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Now, if there's any confusion which soil you are, this one gives us a good definition, a practical way to measure. Here's what I'd summarize it like, like this. I'd say good soil means that you joyfully receive God's word and listen, do something significant with it. Do something significant with it. I added the word significant. My sermon was, it just said, do something with it for quite a while. The last minute I added that word significant because I thought, I mean, think about what, a, what, what all is involved in a, in a plant growing and producing a crop, as the Bible says, as it says. They produce a crop. That's quite a process, isn't it? That doesn't just happen overnight. Like, it's significant. Like, God is saying the good soil, it's not just like you kind of sort of maybe a little bit kind of sometimes do stuff. No, it's like you produce a crop, you know? Like, that's amazing. So there's two parts to this. First, there's the state of your heart as you hear the word. Our verse calls this a noble and good heart. Somebody who hungers for God's correction. Somebody who's who wants God to show them where they're off and where they need to be corrected. They desire to know what God wants to say to them. And they put themselves in situations to hear God's words. But second, there's what you do with it. It works its way out into your life. It produces a crop, like it says. Now remember what we learned earlier, that we learned that this parable is like a practical joke. Once you've heard it, you're in it, you know? Like you're one of these soils. Which one are you going to be? It doesn't matter how you respond. You're simply showing yourself to be one of these four soils. You're in it no matter what. And so I want us to ask ourselves these two questions. Number one, what kind of soil will I be this year? And number two, what kind of soil will we be this year? And here's my warning. Don't just assume you're good soil. There's four kinds of soils. Three of them aren't so great. Don't just assume that you're good soil. Instead, humble yourself before God. Cry out to him, say, God, if I was deceived right now, I wouldn't know it. The only way to know is by you telling me. So God, would you show me? God, are the, are the riches of life's, riches, you know, life's riches and pleasures, are they in any way, shape, or form taking precedence over you in my life? God, is my faith more of a shield than a motor right now? How can you go through those steps, those prayers, today and say, God, show me what kind of soil I'll in. Like, this matters, you know? Like, this matters. What kind of soil am I, God? I want to be good soil. And so I want us to ask ourselves that question. What kind of soil will I be? What kind of soil will we be? 
And here's what I think we need to learn on this first day of the new year. It's that God will use us only to the degree we're willing to surrender. God will use us only to the degree that we're willing to surrender. The question I have been asking myself is this. What does it mean for Table Church to be good soil in 2023? I, I mentioned it in my prayer. I've been reading this book, and uh, it's just been, like, really speaking to me. And It's about a guy who, who was a, an intercessor, and he um, had just a really vibrant walk with the Lord. But that's what God said to him. He said, look, I want you to identify with the hurts of the people you pray for. Don't just pray for them. You have to enter into their lives, enter into their situations. That's how you gain the position of intercession, he said. So what does it look like for us to be that kind of church this year? To enter into the lives, into the, the things and the hurts of the people in our community. Look, in, in our short history as a church, God has used us in some big ways. God has used Table Church. I, I think we punch above our weight in terms of our size and our impact on the community. Okay, uh, We've taken some big risks in the three and a half years that we've existed in order to follow God in some radical ways. Starting Rise Up, our, our tutoring ministry for at-risk youth, like that was a risk. I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to manage this as a little church. Where are we going to get the volunteers, you know? Where are we even going to do it? <laughs> we didn't have a ministry center back then, but what, what are we going to do? And so, you know, Moses and me and Brenton, like we, we were praying, we were brainstorming, and, and God brought the pieces together, and now it's been an incredible ministry that's had tremendous impact on the lives of students and their families and the connection with the school. It's amazing how God is using it. I think when we did that, we were being good soil, and it's producing a crop. Okay, buying the ministry center. We own the little building over by Smoky Row Coffee. You know, uh, $300,000 is a lot of money for a little church. That was a risk. And we prayed about it, and we thought God was calling us to it. And you know what? We own the building now outright. We don't have a mortgage because of God's faithfulness to us. And now there's ministry happening in that place like almost every day of the week. It's amazing what God, how God just kind of works when you fully surrender yourself to God's will and discern what he's calling you to, the miracles that he can, that he can do. I think we were being good soil when we did that. But I think God is calling us to a deeper level of surrender. I think God wants to use us to produce an even bigger crop. And so I want to share something that we've been praying a lot about and dreaming a lot about. And it's something that I think Table Church may be uniquely positioned to do. Maybe as uniquely as just about any church you could think of to accomplish. Most of you know where our ministry center is. I just said it. It's over by Smoky Row. It's actually right across the street from Edmonds Elementary. Edmonds uh, Elementary is a school that is 98% diverse. Isn't that something? Many of the families in this school are refugee or immigrant families. And all of the families that we serve in our Rise Up Tutoring Ministry come from Edmonds, and they're all refugee and or immigrant families. Now, when we planted Table Church, one of the things that I said is, okay, number one, I want to be a church that preaches the gospel and helps people understand the infinite love that God has for them and the infinite need we have for his love and his forgiveness. I want to be a church that preaches the gospel. I want to be a church that doesn't just serve, but solves problems. I want to be a church that doesn't just serve, but solves problems. And here's what I mean. I got nothing, there's nothing wrong with serving. Okay, serving, that's like what we do at our dollar car wash, the dollar car wash every summer. Uh, we 
do a, we wash people's cars and then instead of taking a dollar, we give them a dollar. Like it just blesses them, makes their day. It's serving them. It's wonderful. But there's also solving problems. There's finding the disparities in your community and saying, how can we as a church fix it? You know? This, this is not just making people's day, bringing a smile to their face. Again, I love that. This is saying, where are things wrong in the world and how can we make them right? I want to be a church that doesn't just serve. I want to be a church that solves problems. And that's what Rise Up is doing. And that's what I think that we're called to do even more this year. We exist in the heart of the most densely populated center for immigrants in our city and in our state, or at least one of them. And we've now been serving that community for a couple years through, our, through Rise Up. Um, and here's, here's the door that is opening to us that I think will allow us to serve these families even more. In 2014, the Wesleyan Church, again, that's our denomination, started what's called the Immigrant Connection. Uh, Immigrant Connection is an organization that enables local churches like us to become Department of Justice accredited immigrant legal centers. I'm going to say that again. That was a mouthful. It, it empowers local churches to become Department of Justice accredited immigration legal centers. Okay? Uh, so what this means is that people from your church actually go through many, many hours of legal training offered by the DOJ, the Department of Justice, um, and then it would enable your church to open a site where immigrants can come for legal services uh, at a fraction of the cost that it would be to go to a lawyer. Um, and so this is something that I've known about since 2014. I mean, because, you know, when the denomination started and I knew about it, and it's something I've always loved. It's an incredible ministry, and it reaches tons of lives throughout the country. And um, it's something I've always kind of thought would be neat, you know. You guys might remember when Joanne Lyon came and spoke on Octo in October here. Uh, she actually sits on the, she's the chairman of the board for um, Immigrant Connection. And she just said, you know, you guys are perfectly positioned for this. Like, you're you're the, the perfect church for this. Immigrant Connection doesn't just take any church. They want to know that you've been doing the hard work of loving the people in your community, the marginalized, the foreigner, the stranger, the immigrant. And that's what we've been doing. That's what we've been doing. And so I feel that we are called to explore this. We've started taking some preliminary steps already. I'll talk about that in a minute. But first, I just want you to kind of catch the heartbeat of this, of this ministry a little more. And uh, I think the best way for you to do that is to actually hear it from them. So go ahead and take a look at this video. No matter where we live, whether it's a major city or small town, suburb or farming community, urban or rural, the reality is that immigrants are our neighbors. Over 15% of the United States population is foreign born. They are our friends and coworkers. They're teaching our children, starting new businesses, providing medical care to our families. Our communities are stronger and our neighborhoods are more vibrant because of immigrants. But our immigrant neighbors are forced to carry an unseen burden. Immigrants and newcomers carry the weight of having to maintain lawful immigration status. It impacts every part of life for immigrants. Employment, financial stability, educational opportunities, children and families and futures. Our immigration system can take years to navigate. For many immigrant families, their only option is to drive hundreds of miles to the nearest legal provider, 
paying thousands of dollars and all the while not knowing who to trust in the complex process of immigration. But what if it didn't have to stay that way? What if change was possible? The mission of Immigrant Connection is to ensure that everyone has access to high-quality, low-cost immigration legal services across the United States. We open immigration legal service offices where they are most needed. We open sites and communities where the immigrant population is growing, but access needed services are limited or non-existent. What's unique is that our sites are government authorized and hosted by local churches, churches with a history of trust and community service. We can serve more people because we train local community members to become government authorized immigration legal experts. We remove obstacles so that immigrant families and their communities, neighborhoods, workplaces, schools, and cities can thrive. Nationwide, we have served tens of thousands of immigrant families from over 125 different countries of origin. We are the fastest growing legal network of this kind because our vision is clear. When every immigrant family in the United States has access to immigration legal services, all families and communities can thrive. But our vision can only be propelled forward by people like you. We invite you to join a growing movement of individuals, families, businesses, and community partners who celebrate and welcome immigrants. The Immigrant Connection movement is committed to seeing immigrant families in their communities, our communities, thrive. Join us in making change possible. So there are too many questions that could arise for me to answer today about what this means and why we would do it. So I will simply say a few things. Um, first of all, here in Des Moines, it's considered a desert, a legal desert, they call it, for immigrant support. Because we have so many immigrants, but so little legal assistance. Imagine not knowing the language. Imagine simply wanting to do everything right. Perhaps you even, you know, came here as a student or to be a student or something like that. But it just so happens that immigrant law, immigration law, is one of the two most complex kinds of law we have in this country, immigration law and tax law. <laughs> most of us get people to help us with our taxes. Well, imagine not even knowing the language but having to navigate that system by yourself. It's very difficult. Um, the other thing I want to say is that this... <laughs> Kind of, I didn't realize this when we got into it, but it's not like it's going to be a very expensive thing for Table Church to do. In fact, the model they have set up, it's just there's a small investment from the church on the front end, and then it actually becomes a self-sustaining thing, which is pretty incredible. But the fact is, it's an incredibly needed service in our community and state. In fact, Tyson Foods, there's a Tyson plant not far from here in Perry. They've invested a million dollars in helping their employees get help from Immigrant Connection Centers. Right now, Immigrant Connection brings in representatives from Minnesota and Kansas. They bring them to Iowa because there are no centers in Iowa and the need is so high. And so they are sending people traveling hundreds of miles just to come to Iowa to help meet the, the need and the demand. And so when I talk to Zach, you'll get to hear more from Zach in the come, upcoming weeks um, about this. He was so excited to hear that we were interested because we're from Iowa and we're, we're in Des Moines and we're right in the heart of a of a community, but uh, he said, we just, we've been praying for, for a church in Iowa to, to step up and do this because the need is so great. 
So immigrant connection is a long process, and it's an arduous process for a church to get all the accreditation that they need. It's probably going to take us around 18 months before we ever open the doors. Uh, and, you, and it's required that you have uh, two uh, people who are willing to be trained as Department of Justice legal representatives. And so the two people that we have at Table Church will be Taryn Obink, who's one of our directors of local mission, as well as my wife, Natalie Wiseman. And so they'll be going through this kind of rigorous training process. They actually have to travel in order to do it some, in order to become legal representatives who can help serve people who are on the path to citizenship. The other thing I'll mention is that obviously immigration is a very hot button issue in our culture politically. Um, and when people hear this, they immediately start thinking, well, oh, you guys are just going to you know, help people that don't want to follow the law or something like that. Well, the fact is that Immigrant Connection, all it is, is following the law. It's helping people follow the law. They, we're, taking, we're taking the laws, whatever the tangle of laws that we have in this country and concerning immigration, we're taking what's handed to us and helping people navigate it. But the bigger question is, okay, well, well why would you do that? Why would, why would you want to help people in that situation? And there's a, I mean, this could be a sermon series, and we will actually be talking more about this in February. But let me just tell you this. I think that things like this are dripping with the gospel. It's dripping with the scriptures. In fact, look what God says in Deuteronomy 10. It says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. I mean, that's a big deal, right? We're talking about the God of gods and Lord of lords. And here's what he says. Here's what he wants. The great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Listen, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. So we have heard the word of the Lord today. What kind of soil will we be? That's the question. That's the question. So this is one way that I believe God is calling us to surrender even more. This is one more maybe kind of courageous step that the Lord is calling Table Church to take. Again, I think he's always asked us to punch above our weight in terms of how we love our community and the people around us. And it just so happens that the people around us could use this kind of help. And so I think that we are uniquely qualified to meet that need. So that's what it looks like for Table Church at least one way. There's other things too I could tell you. I won't because we don't have enough time, but I will share more in upcoming weeks about some other cool things for ministry that God is calling us to do. Um, the question to start the year off is though, what kind of soil will we be? Good soil receives God's word and does something significant with it. And so would you join us? Would you join us? Let's pray together, shall we? Well, God, uh, there's so much more to say, and we will have time to say it, but I know that you are calling us to be a church that just pours ourselves out for others. And so would you help us do that, Lord? Would you give us the courage to be a church that um, surrenders it all to you? And when you say go, we go. Even if we don't know how, even if we don't know all the answers, even if we don't know what it looks like. Because we want to be selflessly for those who need you the most. Lord, we're so grateful that you have called us as a church to this place in this moment, in this time, in this city in order to be a light for you. I believe that we have been and I pray that we continue to be. We love you, God. Go with us now in this new year, we pray. Amen.